If you record it, they will listen. If you record it, they will listen. From your lips to God's ear. <laughs> I hope we have listeners. <laughs> Do you listen to our podcast? We have a podcast. I'm Todd, call sign Prometheus. Gotta work in a battle on five reference. Dave, call sign Poseidon. I'm old, but I, I remember. Andrew, call sign Aries. I do enjoy being masculine. Preston, call sign Apollo. Robot jocks now have to watch. Quintessentially so bad, it's good. It's a Saturday. Before we ruin all the podcasts. Too late for that. I named my left peg after Arnold. Macho, macho man. The Terminator. Monsters. Robot, robots, 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 robots again. Todd plays sound effect. No one's supposed to go this deep, but nerds like me. And continue to enjoy whatever makes you a discerning geek. The Discerning Geeks Portal. Welcome back, Discerning Geeks, to the Discerning Geeks Portal, where each week we take a discerning look into all things geek. It is I, David, and I am here with my best friends, Todd and Preston. How are you guys doing this evening? I have no peanuts and I have no Cracker Jacks. Um, so. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll add a peanuts and Cracker can, can you even buy Cracker Jacks anymore? It's been a long time since I've seen Cracker Jacks. Uh, they're around. Know. They're just very bad for your teeth. Yeah. And sadly, the toys got to where they sucked. I mean, they just, they, they stopped putting anything in there besides, like, stickers. And it was kind of like, oh, well, I wanted, like, an actual toy. Oh. I guess we should talk about what we're going to be recording about. We're taking a little step out of the ordinary, and I'm curious to see how these gentlemen adapt. I don't think we have any huge baseball fans here. Preston, I know you like wrestling. Do you ever keep up with the baseball? I keep up with Japanese baseball. Nice. Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, Do they throw um, in some wrestling moves or something during the halftime? No, <laughs> no. no uh, one of one of the uh, biggest stars in Japanese wrestling history started out on the Yokomori Giants. Oh, cool! Uh, Shohei Giant Baba started uh, playing baseball for the Yokomori Giants when he was about seventeen because he had gigantism. So he was six seven in Japan in the fifties. The average Japanese person was five four to five five, so you know he he was a pretty big deal. He was pretty good, and then he took a shower with the you know a glass door, and the door didn't open when he tried to get out, and he fell through and ruined his arms, and so he couldn't play baseball anymore. But you know, uh, Ricky Dozan, who is the godfather of all Japanese pro wrestling said, Hey, Baba, why don't you come on by and I'll see if you're any good at this wrestling thing. Cool. And yeah, he, he turned out to be one of the biggest stars in the Japanese wrestling industry and still revered to this day as one of the only honest people in the pro wrestling industry. Okay. And Todd, I know you're not a big baseball fan. I mean, we've gone to like no. three or four games kind of just, to hang out more than watch the even the games but yeah todd forgot to mention this during the podcast but he remembers a time when he dave and dave teague went to a baseball game in winston-salem one day a year or two before the pandemic and due to recent rains they were using the thrust from a low hovering helicopter to try to dry the field 
we're going for a movie, a little bit of baseball, a little bit of something strange. So it's definitely a little fantasy element going on in behind the scenes. And just curious to see how it left you guys feeling at the end. So we're talking about Field of Dreams. Todd, why don't you give him a little rundown? Okay. One day, Iowa farmer Ray Kinsella started hearing a disembodied voice in his cornfield cryptically saying, if you build it, you build it he, will come. he will come, which Ray later understands to be a message about building a baseball diamond in his cornfield. With the eventual support of his wife and daughter, Ray builds the baseball field, which attracts the attention of famous baseball legends, including Shoeless Joe Jackson, all of whom have been dead for years. Despite financial hardship, a challenging venture seeking out a fellow baseball ba- baseball fan who also may be receiving cryptic messages from beyond and dealing with a skeptical in-law, Ray and his family stay determined to keep alive for themselves and for others their Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams is starring Kevin Costner as Ray Kinsella. Amy Madigan as Amy Kin- or Annie Kinsella, Ray's wife, Gabby Hoffman as Karen Kinsella, Ray's daughter, James Earl Jones as Terrence Mann, an author and former activist, Ray Liotta as famous baseball player Shoeless Joe Jackson, Timothy Busfield as Mark, Annie's brother, Burt Lancaster and Frank Whaley as Dr. Archibald, Moonlight Graham at two different ages. Field of Dreams was released on May 5th, 1989, with a rating of PG. It was both written and directed by Phil Alden Robinson. And it's also based on a novel called Shoeless Joe that came out in 1982 and is written by Canadian novelist W.P. Kinsella. So I don't know the name of the character in the book, but at least the movie version, uh, the character was named after the author. And where can you find it? There's a little bit of confusion about that because whenever I go to justwatch.com and I look this up, it claims that this is on stars. I can't find it on stars. Now, I looked a little bit closer and it looks like it's stars via Apple TV, but I tried to do like the stars channel on Apple TV and I still can't find it. So I had to rent it. Uh, if anybody else has better luck, let, let us know. A couple weeks after this episode was recorded, JustWatch.com still shows this movie is available to subscribers of stars via Apple TV. Todd was going to check if that was still a mistake or not, but his subscription to Stars ended sometime in the last few weeks. Sorry, folks. You're on your own with this one. So, I know you're not baseball fans. A little bit different movie, but I got to know kind of first impressions. What did you guys think of this movie? It's quiet. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I went first quite a bit in the, the previous episode that we just recorded. And Dave, I feel a little bit bad about that. I was like, okay. I, no, that's okay. First quite a bit. And so, I was like, maybe I shouldn't go first as much this time. But yeah, so I will. I, I definitely liked it. It was interesting. This is one of those movies that's obviously been out there for a while, since 1989, and for some reason I had never seen it. I'm not even sure I knew that there was a supernatural element to it. I knew about the whole, if you build it, he will come, and and you know that later gets changed to, they will come, and then there are other messages and everything. But I'm not sure I knew that that was a supernatural thing. So it was interesting to see. I definitely liked it. I, I'm not sure I love it. Uh, it's, it's somewhere in the middle for me. Um, and I may have to go into more detail on the how and why later, but it's, it's definitely interesting, you know, pleasant watch. And, you know, as a fan of of Japanese baseball, I can tell you that absolutely baseball 
and the supernatural are intertwined. All you need to do is look at the Hessian tigers and the curse of the Colonel to understand <laughs> that where a, a, fa- a baseball team in Osaka, Japan, believe they were cursed for uh, about 30 some odd years because they threw a statue of Colonel Sanders into the bay. It's an amazing time. But no, this is a Hallmark movie. Uh, it's a Hallmark movie for men. It's all about reconnecting with your father and, uh, you know, not worrying about money and, uh, you know, trying to recapture some of the innocence of youth. So it's a Hallmark movie, but for dudes. Oh, cool. Okay. That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. A, a man's Hallmark movie. Now, Todd, you said this was your first watch, correct? Yes. Preston, you'd seen this one before? I, I, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I've never sat down with the whole thing. Okay. It's one of those uh, movies that I feel like it, it works best like a, like a, as you're channel surfing. And like you just catch like one of those stirring, sentimental music score pieces and like all of the stars coming out of the cornfield. And you're just like, yeah, that was nice. Okay, next show. Right. Okay, okay. Eventually, so I want you guys to start kind of thinking about it in your back in, in the back of your mind. I mean, obviously, I think the big question that I want to explore at some point before we get off is this supernatural element and what you think it is. But I don't want to get there yet because I kind of feel like that's the the whole takeaway of the movie. Um, I don't want to rush in. I want to I want to talk about some smaller bits first and and kind of break it up and then we'll get to the the big question you know what is this is this angels in the outfield is this just some kind of sci-fi time warp is it does it even matter Uh, i want to ask those questions but i want to first just kind of look at some of the elements of the movie and and see what you guys thought i i kind of felt like there was a neat relationship between um, you know, of course, the Ray can tell, um, ooh, I can't say his last name, um, but Ray and his wife, Annie. What did you guys think? Did, do you think that was developed enough? Do you feel like it was just a side kind of throwaway plot? Was it anything you even paid attention to? I think they did all right. You know, I, I think, again, it's a Hallmark movie. So, like, in, in, in most Hallmark movies, the relationship is so solid, uh, uh, Earthquake could not render it asunder. And yeah, that, that, that was kind of where we were here. Yeah, I like their relationship. I, one of the my favorite parts of the movie is actually the very beginning when we get the opening monologue where Ray kind of explains how they met. I actually think that some of the best lines in the movie actually come from that monologue. Uh, So I kind of like their backstory and how well they work together. And I think the main part of their relationship is basically the faith that she puts in him because he could be going crazy. And I think they do a good job near the beginning of the movie when he's hearing these voices and even he's not sure what they are or if he's going crazy. I think both of them show a healthy amount of skepticism and confusion. But once he realizes there's got to be something to this, I might need to do it. I like the fact that she is supportive. Now, I guess there's always the controversial question, but should she be? Because building this thing basically makes them nearly go bankrupt. So maybe it wasn't a smart thing. I mean, yeah, it eventually works out. But how did they know it was going to work out? So 
you know, I, I guess it's nice that she's so supportive, but then back in my mind, should she have been? But yeah, it definitely shows the strength of their relationship. And I also appreciate it later when after they get the baseball field built and there's kind of a next phase to this whole process, it turns out that they both had a shared dream. And I thought that was pretty good. And even though we didn't see that shared dream on camera, I'm not sure we really had to. Just the fact that he's explaining a dream to her and she's like, oh, crap, I had that same dream. And then it clicks with both of them. Okay, there is definitely something to this. We've definitely got to follow it through. And then they're just both on board. So, yeah, I think their relationship is a pretty good strength of the movie. I, too, love the opening kind of scenes and monologue. Not quite to the level of the the actually Pixar movie up. But I love that we got the summation of kind of where he's at in his life, how he got there, his relationship with his family, his relationship with his wife in about a minute of just kind of his voice and these, these pictures. Um, like I said, very reminiscent to me of the movie up. Um, now up takes it even to another level and, But it was interesting that you picked up on that as well. Uh, I think my favorite line from that is, you know, he met Annie at school. They were in Berkeley in California. And the only he said the only thing they had in common was she was from Iowa and he had heard of Iowa at some point. And that was like kind of like they were very different, but that they I just love the way that they, they they kind of point that out and you kind of see the growth of their their relationship um he talks about his dad passing away the same same years they got married yeah i'm with you i love the strength that we see in their relationship of following this dream together had it just been his it would have really been kind of weird and and strange um the fact that he was you know, able to convince her and she supported him. And then as she sees things happening and and it becomes her dream too, it's great that they are able to find that strength together. So it's a baseball movie in some ways, right? It's a Hallmark movie, but there's, there's baseball here, a lot of baseball history. I'm not a baseball history person. I want to believe baseball is America's sport and, we have this, you know, constant thing that has always been there. And, you know, kids would grow up going with their parents to watch all these, the Yankees play and watch all these baseball games. And, and it became a part of the American culture. To be very fair and honest, by the time I kind of was coming around, a lot of that had already died. And I didn't know most of these characters outside of this movie. Um, Shoeless Joe Jackson, some of these others, Archibald. Yeah, they're real characters. They were real baseball players, but I didn't know of them um, outside of this movie and wouldn't have been able to tell you what baseball team or anything like that, that or any of the story of what went on about them getting suspended and, and then coming back. So I guess my big question is, did this movie give you any more respect for the sport of baseball or not really? It was just kind of an element of the movie for you. So I, I know a little bit about baseball. Uh, 
my family has always been very, very involved in, in baseball. Um, my cousin actually got close to making into making it into the majors, and as did my uncle. Nice. Uh, both on the Stillman side. Uh, my uncle, I believe he was an outfielder, and uh, my cousin was a, a pitcher, very good pitcher. Uh, but they both got really close to making it in, into the major league. So I've, I've always kind of been aware of baseball. Um, currently speaking, I can't say that I really watch that many, you know, MLB games. Maybe if it's like something super, super big time, um, I'll watch it. Like like Braves and the Braves chasing the pennant or getting close to the pennant, I'll watch it. Or, you know, watching some highlights here and there. I did. Uh, I watched the World Baseball Classic last year, which is a lot of fun. I highly recommend it because it's it's kind of like the Olympics, but for baseball. Hmm. And um, you, you finally got to see um, the biggest showdown in, in the sport currently, which was uh, Otani versus Mike Trout. And the reason that you finally got to see it is Otani and Mike Trout both play for the same team in America. And finally, in the World Baseball Classic, they were able to face off uh, Otani at the pitcher's mound and Trout at the batter's box. Trout currently has the best batting average in the league, and Otani is the best pitcher in the world. And certainly the highest paid baseball player on earth currently is uh, Shiro Otani, who's making $30 million a year this year. So, yes, while baseball isn't exactly the most popular sport in America currently, it still commands high attention worldwide, particularly in Japan. Todd, what about you? How was your, Did this help your respect for baseball in any way? No, not really. Uh, I'm not much of a sports fan. Well, I'm not a sports fan at all. I think I still watch the Super Bowl every year, but even then, it's just because of the commercials. And even then, some of the commercials haven't been that good the last few years. Uh, So, yeah, I just don't watch sports. I don't relate to it. I, I don't know why. I just never have. And so it doesn't mean as much to me and there's even a time in the movie where one of the characters is saying i love this game i love this aspect of it and that aspect of it and i'm still thinking but it's still a game i can understand you enjoying it because you're playing it i've never been one of those people that is that that has enjoyed that much watching other people play games i I mentioned that we recorded one episode before this uh that episode was for a review of cut scenes from a video game that were spliced together to kind of make a movie. And one of the parts of our discussion was about, is this a game? Is it a movie? Is it somewhere in between and whatever? And I'm not sure I had the chance to say that in the episode, but I've never been the type of person to really want to watch other people playing video games either. Uh, I know that there are whole Twitch channels where you can watch other people play games and sometimes you can play them yourself and get involved. But other times you're just watching other people. That's never been my thing. And so the same thing with this, I didn't quite feel it. Part of that is just me being the way I am. Is it possible that a movie, if done a different way, could possibly make me feel that at least while I'm watching the movie? And then I go right back to being my non-sports person self after that, maybe. But I don't feel this movie quite 
helped me understand the love or the importance of the game. I, I, I can accept that it was important to the characters. I get that. It didn't quite transfer over to me, though. You know what? You know what movie would help? <laughs> what was that? Major League. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Major, Major League. League. Yeah, uh, that'll, that'll do it. I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. Um, okay. No, that was why I was kind of curious. I just wanted to see where we're at with this and, and see kind of what what the movie had to offer for us. So, all right. I want to leave a little bit of time for this discussion because um, I, I definitely want to get into it. And, and, hey, it may go really fast and we'll go to the next question. If not, I kind of want to be able to take time to explore it. Did either of you have an opinion or a thought as to kind of what was going on here or even care what was going on here, I guess would be the bigger question. Obviously this is a kind of a strange plot. You know, a guy builds a baseball field in the middle of you know, cornfields in Iowa and dead baseball players start showing up and, and playing. Um, and there's even kind of a funny scene where one of them asks, you know, is this heaven? He's like, no, it's Iowa. And the movie itself Never explains what's going on here. Is this a ghost story? Is it a sci-fi time travel story? Is it a place out of time? What, what, what's going on here? So I was just curious as to your guys' thoughts on all of that. What, what do you think is going on here? Or do you even care what's going on here? Because that's the, probably the even bigger picture. What's bringing these guys from the afterlife to come and play in this this baseball field in this guy's backyard, basically. Todd, do you, do you do you have anything before I launch into this? Oh, you got something to launch into? <laughs> that oh, sounds man. interesting. Okay, yeah, a, a little bit. So uh, you guys know me well enough, and if we have enough listeners who've listened to enough episodes, you know that I'm a little bit of a nitpicky person. I do prefer to know how and why things work sometimes, but. I hope I've also made it clear that when something is a fantasy rather than science fiction, I, I can forgive and overlook some of that. And so I can even do that with this movie. I do wish we had a little bit more. I mean, like you said, Dave, it's never explained. I wish it were explained a little bit more. There's a part in the movie where we see a, uh, one of the ghost spirits, whatever they are, kind of look down and see a row of gravel and they almost get this look on their face like they know they can't cross that. And I thought, that's interesting. It's a rule, apparently, that they can't do that. But then I was kind of curious, why and what's special about the gravel? Uh, who makes up these rules? And I also realized that, yeah, I may not get those answers. But then uh, there's this distraction in the middle of the movie where Ray ends up hooking up with this other character who then go in search of this one baseball player and they learn that he passed away and then they end up picking him up and it turns out he is one of these spirits who has also passed away. And so he gets to come to the baseball field in a different way than everybody else does because they come through the corn. He comes from somewhere else. And I'm like, how and why does he not follow the same rules as everybody else? And they and the other spirits can't cross one direction over the gravel. But in order for this new guy to get into the baseball field, he's got to cross the other way into the gravel. So is the gravel just a one way? And, and again, I can't help it. That's the way my brain works. And yes, I can overlook that stuff to a certain extent because it's a fantasy. But I still wish I had at least a little bit more information. I mean, like when they say, is this heaven? And the, the answer is no. I'm like, well, then what is it? Can you give me a hint? 
you know, one of my favorite movies that we have reviewed a long time ago was The Adjustment Bureau. And the some of the characters in that are not exactly angels. They're more like time agents. And so they might be seen as kind of like being angel-like, but they're not exactly angels, but they kind of have certain powers of angels. But then there are also these neat rules where they can't cross over water and to go through certain doors, they have to have a hat. And even if that stuff doesn't make sense either, I still appreciate that there were rules that applied. And I'm kind of intrigued by that. And I felt like this was a movie where, yes, nothing's explained, but there are a few rules, but not enough rules. And even those rules get broken. And so I wish that there was just a little bit more structure to what these guys are. And especially because of something that happens at the very end, but I'll, I'll save that for later in case you have a question for us about the very end of the movie. Okay. All right. Preston. And now this is where I get to tell you that this is all an SCP. Oh. And um, what I mean by that is this is clearly an entity that lives in the corn, <laughs> seducing people to come consume their hopes and dreams so that it can survive. And it's luring you with what you mo- want most in life. And that is a reconnection with your estranged father that you, you, you just never made, and the sense that your life mattered. And so, what does SCP stand for? Uh, SCP, the, the SCP Foundation. SCP stands for Secure, Contain, Protect, and that's just the acronym that they use for the anomalies that they capture in the SCP Foundation. In, in the SCP Foundation, it's all it's usually based around some spooky photo of like a, a random object or place or like a piece of graffiti. And then someone writes an entire story of, okay, this is what this thing does. This is how we captured it. And this is how we keep it from killing the entirety of humanity. One of them is based around... Uh, all of those buses that you see out on the, the side of the road in the mountains, they're just left to rot because no one takes that route anymore. So there's just all these school buses around in the mountains. Well, someone wrote an entire SCP about those things being like alive and, you know, convincing people to get on them and, and sit down on the things so they can eat them and digest them. And that, you know, those, those uh, rusted out, corpses of school buses along the side of the road are dead monsters. But yes, no, this, this is a SCP. It, it's causing our, our hero Ray to have this hallucination because it needs to feed on the, the hopes and dreams and innocence of, of American Iowans, which knowing someone from Iowa is, is not too far of a, catch because if you if you live out there from the way that my friend Iowa talks about living in Iowa you would need to have a lot of hopes and dreams to carry you through these cold brutal winters I like okay. it I like it that was an interesting uh, take on this I don't know that I've heard that one before <laughs> we talked about kind of the baseball we've talked about the the fantasy element we've talked about the relationship. Um, I do think Preston's right when he has pointed out a couple of times that this is kind of all about that relationship with someone's father. It's kind of those regrets, you know, oh, I didn't get to play catch with my father. I didn't get to do this. Especially, I think, 
what's, you know, kind of like in this situation with this character, with Ray, you know, his, his father passed away when he was fairly young. He had just gotten married. They didn't have a daughter. His daughter never got to meet him. So there, there are these, these regrets. And there's this, you know, kind of this, this void in him that is leading him to, to build this. And it all ends up being about his father. So I guess the big question is, how do we feel about that? I know I'm going to kind of start off a little bit and just say, for one, I know I feel kind of blessed. I still have my father with me. I can still call him up whenever I want. And he still helps me with projects around the house or um, all kinds of things. You know, I meet with him, you know, about once a week, I'll, I'll end up over at my parents' house and I feel very close to them. We live close. I never really had one of those moments where I, I guess, kind of had a falling out with my father or, you know, I didn't try to go far, far away to college just to get away from my parents because I needed to or anything like that. So in many ways, I don't feel those regrets the same way that I feel Ray does. So I'm curious if that in a way kind of diminishes my feelings or understanding for this movie. Or maybe it does for you guys. I don't know. I'll, I'll just kind of throw that out there. I kind of want to know how you guys feel about this main relationship and what it's all about and getting back that moment and reconnecting with someone and see what you guys think. Yeah. So if you're talking about the reconnection, is it okay to get a little bit spoilery at this point? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So... It wasn't a huge stretch of the imagination that because these people who have been dead for years are somehow coming back to life, whatever they are, spirits, ghosts, whatever, it was a little bit semi-predictable that eventually one of these guys is going to be raised dad. And it doesn't, and just because it was semi-predictable doesn't take away from the fact that it's still a nice touch. And I do have that in my notes, that it was a, a nice touch. But I think that the best part of it was knowing that John knew that he was raised dad. Because when Ray introduces him to the family, they've kind of figured it out, but they don't necessarily know that Ray's dad has figured it out. And so they don't even tell him because it's like, well, this would be pretty awkward to say, hey, you're my dad and this is your granddaughter. And so they skip over that. But then Ray's just like, screw it. Hey, dad. And John could be like, hey, why are you calling me dad? He doesn't. He just turns around and acknowledges it. And it's like he knows. I think that was the night. It's almost making me choke up a little bit talking about it. I think that was actually the, and I didn't choke up while I was watching it. It's weird. I'm like talking about it is making me choke up more than watching it. I think that was the best part of all that was the fact that John knew it was whatever he was. It was instinct within him or maybe even told to him ahead of time that, Hey, this person who's built this field is your son. And I think that was, that one little moment where he just like acknowledges it and knows that he's his dad. That's probably the best aspect of the whole movie, at least as part of it. And, and you say that it's a big part of the movie. It is to a certain extent because it's kind of introduced in the beginning and it's a big part of the end, but I don't think it's the whole of the movie because there's this big distraction kind of in the middle. Uh, so we do take a while to kind of getting there, but yeah, I think it is a nice emotional moment near the end when, they do get to play catch together. I mean, it's, it's the whole purpose of the movie is uh, this reconnection with one's father and just uh, evaluation of who you are as a person versus who they were. 
and, you know, trying to kind of balance all of that and build something of your own, but also recognizing that what you do is still connected to your family. I'm very fortunate that my father has been excellent to me. Like he's done above and beyond what any father could ever be asked of. He, you know, we're, we're in business together. We do a bunch of stuff together and one day it'll, it'll all be on me as to what the, the name Stillman's tax service actually means. And I I know that that day will eventually get here, but you know, I'm hoping to have him by my side as long as humanly possible. Because I understand that, like, that's kind of one of those relationships. It's a foundation to who you are as a person, your relationship with your parents and what that means and who they were and how that shapes you. Sometimes they can be good people and you can end up a bad person. Not, not for their fault, but just, you know, just something went wrong in the brain chemistry and it just never got addressed before it was too late. Or, you know, maybe you were just a bad person. Or, you know, you can have terrible parents and come out the best person ever. It's, it's no guarantee as to who you are, but it does really shape how you view the world, who your parents are and all those relationships. And, you know, I think a lot of people really want to embrace death with no regrets. And that's kind of the feeling I get of this is like the reason why I keep saying, oh, it's a monster eating people or whatever. It's just like the corn field. When you go into the corn, it's all about you're going to die and you're, you're accepting that like that's death out there in the corn. And so bringing it back from the field is bringing things over. That's why there's all that debate. Is it heaven or whatever? But like the cornfield is where you go to die. And the reason, uh, another reason why I say it's a monster is when the baseball players come back, all they know is how to play baseball because that's all that Ray knows. He doesn't actually know what heaven looks like or, or you know, what, what goes on after you die because he's never died, you know, first of all. And so when they come back, uh, you know, onto the field from the corn, it's it's scp creating these you know entities to go play baseball to convince ray to keep feeding it (laughs) (laughs) i bet you didn't expect that from your sentimental horror movie did you no (laughs) that's interesting i like it i like it i think i kind of want to turn it over to you guys i know um and just see if there was any other like positive elements that that you wanted to bring out about this movie um, and then we'll give a little chance for some, some nitpicks and some negatives before we get into our ratings. Do you guys have any other positives or anything like that? I mean, this whole movie is just a warm hug, right? Like the music is sappy and endearing. The performances are just so earnest. Everyone cares. And, you know, James Earl Jones is there. And <laughs> it's just like, yeah, this is this is what you want out of like your you know, you're kind of sad, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of dealing with something that's not going right. And you can just kind of turn this on and just let the morphine that is this movie take you away. And I feel like that's, it's a benefit of this. Like you might, you might hear me say all that and think, Oh, Preston's just, just being so hard. Cause he likes all of these, you know, weird, obscure, artsy fartsy kind of things. 
But no, man, like you got to have some kind of sentimentality touchstone or some kind of just, I got, I got to recharge my kindness battery for a little bit. Cause I've been dealing with traffic on 40 and trying to merge on a 52 every day for the past seven months. And now I'm just, I have no faith in humanity after trying to emerge, get on and off of 52 going any direction. Uh, again, that's a that's a local joke for our out of town listeners. <laughs> um, but if you know it, you know what I'm talking about. But no, you you need these kind of things. Yes, 52 is still one of the most dangerous highways in America. <laughs> I don't know. It feels like it anytime I've been yeah. on it. <laughs> um, it. It has to be. How about you? I refuse to accept that there's any place more dangerous than 52. How about you, Todd? Any other little positives or? Yeah, and a few things I might say for uh, lightning round. But so I mentioned the opening monologue. I, I thought I'd go over a few quotes from that. Uh, Ray says that officially my major was English, but really it was the 60s. Yeah. Um, and then at some point he says, and I met Annie. The only thing we had in common was the fact that she came from Iowa and I had once heard of Iowa. Uh, after graduation, we moved to the Midwest and stayed with her family as long as we could. Almost a full afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a few years later, Karen was born. She smelled weird, but we loved her anyway. Her. <laughs> uh, so I thought those, those were really good good lines. I, I, I thought that was done well. Let me see. I can say that for lightning round. Well, I might save several of these for lightning round because I don't have a whole lot of notes on this. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Let me ask one more question. What did you guys think of? Because it does. It has James Earl Jones as a kind of a a writer from the 60s. He was a hippie writer and, and you know, apparently, you know, Pulitzer Prize winner, but he's since gone reclusive. And I think at one point in the movie, it says he hadn't written for 16, 17, something like that years or published anything. But yet he still has people like, beating down his doors for life advice mainly what did you guys think of this character did you think it i felt it was an interesting choice for james earl jones i just don't know why i just felt like it was a different type of character than i'm normally used to seeing him play but but what did you guys think well it's james earl jones so there's definitely no complaint about the performance and the character himself i mean he starts off as a grump right away but it's it's one of the situations where as much as he's trying to get ray to leave him alone he wouldn't have let Ray keep saying stuff and trying to convince him if there weren't something there where it's almost like he wanted to be convinced of something. So I kind of like that. One of my nitpicks that I, I put in my notes is I get it that it's weird that both men are having the same vision and hearing the same voice. And so eventually once they realize that they agree to go on this, uh, make this snap decision to drive to Minnesota to go on this little mission together, but they make the decision so abruptly that Terrence doesn't even pack a bag. And I'm yeah. thinking, you know, Ray has dropped you off at your apartment. You could say, yeah, let's go, but let me go upstairs real quick and pack a bag. But no, they just get in the car and it's like, you have no toothbrush, no second shirt, no nothing. I thought that was a little bit weird. Uh, in grain, I know they can, you know, buy deodorant and stuff and clothes along the way, but I mean, he had stuff upstairs. Just, you know, give him 10 minutes. Uh, so that's one little nitpick. I felt like as much as the character himself is good and the, uh, performance is good i felt like that detour in the middle of the movie was a weird detour because so he built he goes to all this trouble to, to build the baseball field and we hear that they're they're 
uh, farm might be in trouble. And so the first thought I had was, well, just invite people to baseball games there and you'll raise money and that will help save the farm. But then it's for the supernatural ghosts or whatever, and only the family can see them. Other people can't see them. So it's like, so really you're only building the baseball field for the spirits. Nobody else can, can see them. So while Ray is gone, the baseball field is just sitting there with only two people even able to enjoy it. And then there's this whole adventure off to find somebody. They don't know who it is, dead or alive, whatever. I just thought it was a weird detour. So I don't have any complaints with the character, but maybe what the character was there for is what I have maybe a little bit of issue with. This was one of those characters that you kind of read about. And James Earl Jones, for the longest time, played a lot of villains. Like in the 80s, he played a lot of villains. Most infamously... Darth Vader, of course. And this, this is one of those characters that I feel like runs across like an actor's desk. And it's like, you can finally, you know, break this perception and your voice being tied to all of these villains for so many years. And yeah, you got to start out as kind of a, a you know, a grump, but we'll eventually soften you up and, and kind of, you know, prepare you for the next stage of sentimentality. Right. Like, I think this was, was this, this was, this was after coming to America, wasn't it? Or was this before? Ooh, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Well, jo- Joanna can, Joanna can say if it was before or after, but you know, I feel like coming to America, feel the dreams. This was all about James Earl Jones kind of, sort of transitioning from I'm always this villain to now I'm, I'm going to be kind of able to take roles where I'm, you know, have more of a range. You know, I soften up as the movie goes along. This is what I need to do as an actor so I can keep getting cast into the nineties, you know? And, um, yeah, you know, did you did you need the character? Maybe you could have done without the character. Maybe this was just padding to get to the the runtime they needed to hit. But I, you know, I had fun. It, it it was nice to have Ray have a friend. For for the majority of the movie, it is just Ray and the wife and daughter. And the only other guy that really talks to him is the guy that has to tell him, "Hey, you know, the bank they really like money." They don't care about all this, you know, hearing voices and having dreams and seeing dead people. Nah, they they really like money. So, you know, maybe the money, the money now. And, uh, yeah, nobody likes that guy. So we had to to give Ray a friend, and James Earl Jones is a very good friend. And there was even a, I think it was the the voice that kind of talks to him when he meets James, you know, kind of that character there at the baseball game. And it's, it's go the distance, right? So to me, it seems like a, a sidetrack, right? Oh, where are we going with this? But in a way, it's how far would you go for that dream? You're having this dream. You know that you need to see it through. But how far will you really go? You go and you meet this crazy character and you do end up befriending him. And then they're traveling to Minnesota or somewhere else crazy to meet the other baseball player but it's all about that. How far will you go? Are you willing to go and, and see it through to the end? 
And at the same time he's doing that, you know, Annie's sitting at the house meeting with the the bank and the the lawyers and the collectors and the people who want to buy the property and foreclose on it. And when do you give up? When do you turn away from it? And when do you just give up? And when do you just keep riding out the dream? And do you have the guts to go the distance? And that to me is a big part, a powerful part of this movie, um, <clears throat> which is kind of to me why it gets a lot of fanfare and it's, it's pretty popular and people watch it. Um, you know, it, it shows that it can turn out good when you go the distance. There's a whole lot of TV and a whole lot of movies now that would almost take this same plot and at the end, they're just foreclosing on the farm and they're bankrupt living on the streets. And, oh, see, that's what it's like when you try to follow your dreams. Um, and it doesn't make sense in this movie. But to me, I like the way that they don't explain it. It shouldn't work out. There's nothing about it that makes any sense. And that this should happen and that all this good should happen and they'll end up keeping the farm and people are lined up for miles to come to the empty baseball field with the ghost playing in it to hand them money to save their farm just because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, that, the that's, sentiment that's, that's there and, and is what the movie is about, which is kind of tough. It's like, you got a whole movie based on a sentiment. So, but go ahead, Preston. But I mean that—that's the—that's the whole thing. You gotta, you gotta give you know the American dream time to, to enchant us, to kind of be the, the 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 magical thing that you don't understand how it works. I don't understand how it works. It just happened, right? You know, like uh, like Pepsi, basically. Pepsi, you know, I believe you know, eighteen ninety eight. They make their recipe and they're just kind of shipping it around and, you know, they don't quite know if it's going to work because Coca-Cola was already pretty big at the time. So they don't quite know if it's going to work, but, but it worked. You know, people, there was enough room for another cold beverage to be nation nationwide distribute <laughs> nationally distributed. And, you know, there it is like Reese's. Dave, do you know the, the story of Reese's? I'm not sure I do. Okay, okay. Welcome to another episode of Where Candy Came From, a fascinating look into the origins of historic candies. This week, the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Now here's your host, Preston. So so John Reese's was a man who had like a, a ton of businesses and he had some success, some up and down, but he also had 12 kids. Then the... Uh, the depression happens. The bottom just completely falls out of the market. And he has, I think at that point, like seven or eight kids. And so he starts working for Milton Hershey, uh, making the chocolate bars. What he discovers in making the chocolate is he has a lot of seconds. And if you don't know what seconds are, seconds are kind of like the stuff that doesn't work, isn't quite right. And in chocolate, the seconds are the stuff that won't hold temper. And what temper is, is basically it'll hold uh, its form at room temperature. But So this chocolate wouldn't hold temper. So he's got all the this second chocolate that wouldn't hold temper. 
at the candy stores back then, what was really popular was the, the peanut butter cup. Like the peanut butter cup existed. There were all these people making all these peanut butter cups. He, he would eat a few of them and he'd be like, okay, but I can do better. And so he goes down in the basement and he sits there and he plays with peanut butter for about three months until he figures out, okay, I have to take the peanuts all the way up to this point where they're almost burnt. And then I make the peanut butter and then I put it in the peanut butter and then I put it in the chocolate and I put it in the little paper cup, you know, so the, the, the paper cup keeps it from melting yeah, because it doesn't really have contact with anything. And I put it on the little cardboard underneath so it doesn't really connect with any any heat. So it'll hold, hold its shape and not melt on the way around, you know, the town or whatever. And that thing took off and that's how you have the Reese's. But it was just a guy, you know, believing in himself, believing in the fact that he knew how to burn peanut butter better than the rest of them <laughs> in That's order good. to make these peanut butter cups. This has been Where Candy Came From with your host, Preston. For more historical, scientific, and financial information about the candy industry, stay tuned for the next tempting, diet-endangering episode of Where Candy Came From. I kind of want to get into some negatives Preston did it was there anything that kind of stuck out at you that you kind of wish they'd have done differently or kind of the bank would have taken the house like like the bank would have totally shut them down there, there's just no way around the the bank not taking what they want from here um I think that there's a lot of people that really want this movie to just be brutal and defeating. But the simple way around it is just, hey, maybe we introduce a character in the story that just really believes, right? Like maybe somebody at the bank is an old-time baseball fan, and we can get the scene where he's at the bank and explain to them, you know, hey, listen, you you might think I'm crazy. This whole town might think I'm crazy, right? But this is going to work. You have to believe me. This is going to work. He can look look at like a little league photo or something, and it'll it'll work, and and he'll just kind of move on from there. You know. Well, um, I know that they were definitely working that way. That was the, the I think the the reason that the brother or brother in law um, was coming. Kind of that last scene. They were they were right on the precipice of losing everything. So, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's understandable. Yep. Now, now what, what do you think? Do you think, is there anything in this movie that you think could have been done better or, you know, any nitpicks that you have? I, I, I'm a little bit like Todd in that I would have liked a little explanation as to what's going on, you know, and it could have been simple. Right, an angel in the outfield, but the, but they leave it so open. You know, is this a technically a ghost story? I don't know. I don't know if it's a ghost story. Is it a a supernatural? You know, is 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 God playing in here? You know, well, it was almost like they went really careful to not say that God was involved. I mean, this is the most <laughs> agnostic supernatural yeah. story in the world. It's like we want it to feel like God is there and that everybody is going to, you know, that he's got a hand in this and everything, but we want to do it without saying it because then that would be giving credit and we don't want to do that. 
And in a way that myself, to me, that is a fault. <laughs> it's like, well, something has to be going on here. You need to just say what it is. Um, and, and so now in some ways, I, maybe they made the right choice because if they had come out and said one way or another, then that would have alienated a certain amount of the audience, you know, because some people would be like, oh, now it's just a Christian movie and I don't want to watch that. And then it automatically, you know, becomes preachy and alienates people or it's the opposite. No, it's not God. It's not anything, you know, a Christian belief or anything like that. And you're alienating the the Christians that would want it to be that. So in a way, it's kind of smart that they don't. But right. it, it, it still kind of is a little weird and and hard to understand that that we don't get any kind of explation. So, but, but see here again, I feel like a lot of the problem with like movies that try to be filled of dreams, uh, but also Christian, are just like they go too hard. You just go way oh, yeah. too hard into it, and it's alienating and it's off putting and it's jarring. And, like, all you got to do is, is just the slightest nudge, and people will get it. Like, the people desperate for meaning in any story, you just got to give them the slightest nudge, and they'll get it. That's really all you got to do. You don't have to do what a lot, of, a lot of the Christian movies do, where they stop the story dead so the preacher can give the entire testimony. Yeah. <laughs> about what the, the point of the movie, or, you know, you make the, the other side look absolutely terrible like they're just the worst people in the world and then you brutally murder them only for them to repent right. on their deathbed which again that's not great look for anybody doesn't look good on you doesn't look good on the other side it's just a slight nudge i'm, I'm begging you just the slightest nudge yeah how about you todd you got any uh nitpicks or negatives you want to kind of go over before we get into our lightning round uh, yeah, I do have one nitpick, uh, but then to go over a little bit what you were talking about, Dave, I was, I'm kind of surprised that you agree with me that you would want a little bit more explanation. Uh, I know sometimes we, we get into little tiny debates about that in some movies where it's like, I want more information and it doesn't make sense and I need to know more how things work. But then the argument is, well, you know, what, why do you really need to know how things work? Or, you know, if like if something is science fiction that has a starship in it, do you really need schematics on how the engines work? And, you know, I, I, I don't need I don't need nearly that much detail. I just need sometimes just enough information. to OK, I accept that that is a rule in this universe. I, I think I could have used a little bit more in this. And I think it's almost like, well, especially that ending. I mentioned the ending a while ago. The fact that. The, we see these uh, this line of cars all coming to the farm as if other people have this vision too, and they're all clamoring to come to this little field out in the middle of nowhere to they may not even know what they're going there for, and maybe some of them know that it's for baseball or whatever, but that somehow watching a baseball game is going to help them deal with their problems. I, I may be a little bit skeptical as to how that's going to work. I know it, it like you say, this movie is kind of like based on a sentiment. And so it's a nice sentiment, but then there's still a part of me that questions, okay, once these people are there, what is going to happen and how is that supposed to help? And it's almost like in order to satisfy that part of my brain that is nitpicky about these things, it's almost like I need this to be the first movie in the place of dreams, cinematic universe. Uh, 
Oh. <laughs> we're, like, we're, we're like, the second movie is the Jazz Club of Dreams. And somebody gets messages. It's like, if you fix up the club, they will come. And somebody fixes up a club and you get these dead jazz singers and jazz, uh, and dead uh, instrument players that, that come and, and play jazz music and people come to to hear the music and it helps them work out their problems. And then maybe the third movie is the the theater of dreams. And somebody is uh, hears a message say, fix up the theater and they will come. And somebody finds an old man in theater and they fix it up. And, and then they start having stage plays there with these people who were actors but have been dead for centuries and or, or, or well, yeah, maybe centuries, maybe, maybe just decades, maybe centuries. And people come and watch these plays and it somehow help some work out their problems it's almost like oh if they did that then i would get it then i would accept it. but obviously that's not what it is this movie explains so little and leaves so much hanging that it is a little bit of a nitpick that yeah i i don't have more more to work with there right but yeah, that's, that's our like, movie drive-in of dreams <laughs> it's us rebuilding a drive-in theater and then solving the problems of a small southern town well it's funny because I kind of jokingly said at the beginning when we opened this podcast, you know, if you record it, they will they will listen. In a way, I really do feel like this is kind of our podcast of dreams. You know, we set out to just start recording and doing our thing. And that was the goal. And the the hope, of course, was hey, eventually maybe somebody will turn it on and listen. And, you know, there's even the possibility that someday it'll be, you know, hundreds or maybe even, you know, it'll whatever. We didn't ever think that it was going to be tens of thousands or, you know, whatever. But but that was kind of our, our, our podcast of dreams. In a way, I kind of stand by that that's still what we're doing. You know, we're here recording, doing our dreams, talking to, to each other, staying connected as friends and being able to discuss all this stuff, not for the end result, you know, which is what so much of America is about. You know, we're all about always looking for the, well, how does this get me rich? Or how does this make this? Or how does this, you know, um, the people showing up at the end don't really know why they're, they're even there. And that's okay. So yeah, in a bigger picture, I would like to kind of know, What's the driving force? You know, is it some hidden entity in the cornfield? Is it a um, uh, a, a god figure? Is it a, a just a ghost story? But at the same time, I also don't need to know a lot of details. I don't know need to have rules or or know how it all plays out. Um, I just it would have been nice to kind of get a glimpse as to to what's going on. Now I'm almost ninety percent sure. If I read the book, probably in there somewhere. Um, Aww, I, that's, book. that's typically how it happens. You know, it's it's in the book. They just it didn't translate well into the screen, and so they kind of left it out. But um, yeah, the sentiment's cool, and and I kind of like our podcast of dreams that we're on here at Discerning Geeks. Um, yeah, and, and because this movie kind of suggests that it all has to do with baseball, it makes you wonder, okay, is God that much of a baseball fan that he went to this trouble of doing this supernatural thing that you don't really hear about happening anywhere else, but it's all about a baseball field? Uh, and, and again, that would be another thing to answer is maybe God really is that much of a baseball fan. Uh, and if not, then why isn't he doing this with things like 
jazz clubs and theaters and and football fields and you know why why this why the baseball field uh so yeah that's one question and then i do have one maybe even two nitpicks wrapped up in in one particular scene kind of like a smaller scale logistical type nitpick but it's the one where you kind of suggested a while ago where mark the 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 brother of Annie, uh, he's the one who's trying to convince them to, to sell the farm. And he gets really exuberant about it so much so that he picks up his niece, Karen, but then something happens and he ask, accidentally drops her. And then everybody's worried that she might be dead or something. And, uh, so that's the moment that one of the players, the one that they went to pick up. And again, this is huge spoilers here. So we're, we're in that territory where he crosses that line. And when he does, he becomes the old man doctor and he helps her out. But all he does is just do a swinger feet, uh, a finger sweep, because it turns out that she was eating a hot dog at the time. And so she had a little bit of hot dog in her throat. And I'm thinking, wow, you gave up your youth for that. You could have yelled that from from the field. You could have been like, maybe your airway is blocked. Sweeper airway. You know, he could have done that without giving up his youth and everything but the real nitpick is that after that happens then for some reason mark can see all the baseball players too so i guess he's now in on it and and that's when he says uh yeah don't sell the farm don't sell the farm and then annie is just like hey everybody want to go in for tea and it's like really your brother almost killed your daughter be freaked out for about five to ten minutes because if if that happened in real life anybody i know would be like i I just need to sit down for a minute my 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 nerves are wrecked uh i need a glass of wine or 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 we're gonna go in the house but mark you stay out here for five or ten minutes i don't want to see you for the next five or ten minutes you know somebody would kind of freak out and nobody was freaking out that that karen almost died so um so yeah i thought that was a little bit weird okay okay um, it's interesting. I'm kind of doing one of the things that you normally do, and I've actually got the uh, the the movie silenced, but playing in the background, and we're and it's actually at that scene right now, <laughs> and and so it's kind of interesting when we're talking about it to have that scene playing, and yeah, she was just choking on a hot dog, but again, I think it's there's a that super big sentiment there, and that's all that this movie is focused on is you know it's it's about making those decisions and the doctor yeah he wanted to have that moment of playing baseball but the reality was he was a doctor and he was proud of his decisions and lived the life that he wanted to and he didn't have that regret so he was able to give it up whereas i think some of the other characters maybe still had a little bit of regret and we're trying to figure that out Well, we ran longer than I thought, but let's go ahead and roll for our lightning round. Lightning round. And to some ratings as well. One. Oh, wow. You had the low roll this time. I got the 10 right in the middle. And I have 19. Ah. I think you went first last time, didn't you? You're just getting all the good rolls. <laughs> Actually, I think Preston goes first or at least second in a lot of the things that we roll for. He's got the hot dice. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's that's just that's I like just me. For some reason, I, I I get on these really lucky streaks, and when when I like to say when the lady's with me, she's with me. When she's not, she's not. <laughs> all right, Preston. Speak of course of lady luck. You know. Okay, are you ready? 30 seconds. Yeah, let's go. All right, and go. So again, this movie is all about the sentimentality. This movie is all about letting go of your regrets and 
just realizing that you can do something amazing with your life, even out in the middle of the corn in Iowa. And I feel like you need that because all of us, I don't, I don't care who you are. All of us have these moments where we're just like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm really doing what I should be doing here or if I'm really got it all figured out. I, I think, you know, I'm doing all right, but really you don't know. And this movie kind of lets you know that you can do something outrageous with your life, but really it's all about, you know, you and the people around you and having good relationships with them and don't avoid any moment with your friends, your family, or your loved ones. Yeah, yeah, that's good cinema. I don't know. Don't okay, Dave, are you ready? I am, I am. Okay, and go. I'm going to really just echo a lot of what Preston just said. This is about relationships. It's about your relationships with your family. It's about relationships with your friends. It is about going through life without making those regrets. And we're always going to have things that we kind of miss out on. Um, Dave, I miss you a bunch. Things, a lot of things I wish I'd have said and we'd got to do together. Um, but I also know that I loved every minute we were together and I don't regret any of it. So um, that's the sentiment that's here. And that's what this movie leaves me feeling every time I watch it. And so that, that works out for me. You, you obviously went over time, but I didn't feel right oh. saying same time. Oh, it, I was going to say, it, man, I, I feel like uh, the last time it went really fast. <laughs> no, it, yeah, I think, I think both of us did. <laughs> because I said time during uh, Preston's thing, but he was also being sentimental. And I kind of felt bad about oh. that. So, yeah, since you were being sentimental too, I was like, screw it. Just don't worry about the time. Uh, and here's the thing. I wasn't really planning on being sentimental. So with mine, I, I'm not sure I'm going to need all my 30 seconds. Uh, <laughs> all right, we're good. All right, so here, here, here we go. And go. Uh, the music during the opening credits has very good bass. Uh, I'm surprised and uh, I'm surprised and impressed that the whole voice in the field aspect starts so early. I like the verbal fight at the PTA meeting. It seems similar to arguments people might have today, but I like how Annie stood up for what's right and enjoyed it so much. Uh, I like this. This has a PG rating, and yeah, I still have more time. I'm a little bit confused about James Earl Jones's character about how he kind of goes in, into the corn, and even though he's not dead, he gets to go to where they are. But because he's different, he's not dead. Is he get to come back i don't know Good job. so i did fill up time because i, I that last thing was not in my notes but it's something i thought of so i was still fill up time uh, again, no, that was I, an interesting part yeah it's a monster he's dead oh he I'm just sorry. got eaten by the field <laughs> yeah he got eaten by the field <laughs> there there's a really cool D campaign in there somewhere <laughs> can we can we stop the monster in the field of dreams. Yeah. Well, let, let's get into our ratings. Ratings. Ah! Preston, you rolled the, the golden hand. You're, you're up first. As I look at this movie and, and I really sit here and I think about it because I, I, I didn't come into this one with a pre-planned rating at all. I was just going to kind of Talk about it and see where the, the discussion led me. And after hearing all of the, the, you know, sentimentality that's been poured into this and everything, 
I feel like this is a very, very, very solid three stars. And I, I know people are like, wow, three stars, fill the dreams. That's a bit much. You gave you gave what young Frankenstein five stars. No. Three stars is really what you you get here because you know, sometimes you're just not in the mood for sentimentality. And sometimes you are. And when you are, this movie is five stars. But if you're just coming at it from a review angle, it's a, it's above average sentimentality movie, three stars. All right. I like it. I like it. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, Dave, you're up next. Um, I've always loved this movie. I really have. I can't tell you how many times I've watched it um, in how many different settings and – I just feel like it's solid all the way around. Um, that's why I picked it. So it's not really any surprise. Um, I'm giving it like a nine out of 10. So it, it's oh, wow. really up there. So, All right. And even though I'm usually the nitpicky one and I was this time, um, as I mentioned near the beginning, though, it is fantasy, not science fiction. So even some of these questions that I wish had answers, I'm able to overlook it more because of the genre that it is. Um, and it, you know, it centers around baseball. So Dave, like you said, it's also kind of a sports movie. I'm not really into sports. So there are reasons for this movie to kind of be in the middle at the same time, the sentiment helps keep it on the positive side of that middle. So my final letter grade is a B minus. Okay. seemed like I've been given a lot of B minuses lately. And I would rank this 59th out of 101 movies that we've reviewed or will review soon. So right around the middle. Very cool. Very cool. I do find it interesting that they do now do a baseball game every year in the field. I think pretty much, I think it's the same field or, or it's very near the field that they built in Iowa and they call it the field of dream game. They have throwback jerseys that the teams wear and uh, yeah, it's pretty cool uh, that they kind of walk out out of the cornfield to, to join the, the field for the baseball game. I think that would be kind of cool to watch one day. So I'd like to hear from you guys. Again, we're 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 departing. We're we're this, the geeks are getting weird. We've done video games. We've watched uh, movies from the like sixties. I think when was Colchester? Seventies. <laughs> uh, oh, seventies. Okay, wasn't that bad then? Or wasn't that old? Um, now we're we're talking Field of Dreams, which is not really. It's more of a baseball movie than our typical geek movie. So we're kind of all over the place, and we want to know if that's what you guys want again we're just you know this is the podcast of dreams and we want to record it and so you guys can listen and we want to hear from you so email us discerninggeeks at gmail.com or interact with us on our facebook page the discerning geeks portal podcast or on x formerly twitter at discerning geeks and then we still got to roll. We got to see what's coming up next, man. The, the wheel of insanity has gotten even more insane than a couple of seasons ago. And so the rolls have been pulling up some interesting things. Who wants to roll tonight and find out what our future episode will hold? I believe you got the dice. I can, I can roll if you'd like us. If you've like got a percentile roll? dice, I will let you roll. I did the last one. Okay, I got it. I got it. Todd's our master of 
portals and spreadsheets. All right. And I got a 61. Oh, okay. So this is another one of mine. And it's there's a little footnote in here. It is technically ranking the MCU phase three. But I also have in the list ranking MCU phase two. And so I have in parentheses, if we haven't done two yet, then do two instead. So I feel like that one episode that we did the ranking of the MCU phase one, that might be our best episode of season three. And so I really wanted it on the list. And I thought, uh, okay. thought Andrew might put it on there because he was the one that, that did it for phase one but he didn't so i had to put both of them in there uh because i did i thought that phase one episode was so long i don't want to wait forever like do phase two in this one and then wait forever for phase three so yes technically i rolled phase three but i want to do them in order so phase two phase well. all right two what all does that does anybody know off the top of the head what movies that covers from and to uh yes i may not have the order exactly right but it is iron man three uh, Thor the Dark World, which we've reviewed before. Um, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Avengers Age of Ultron. And Ant-Man, which we've also reviewed. So we've already reviewed two of these movies. Okay. Uh, but the other four we haven't hit yet. So this will, I, I, I'm not so sure we want to count this as a review, but still ranking them, we'll get to say, you yeah, know, whether we like it or they're at. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We always love going back to the MCU, especially during its prime before it started to fade off into the yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, they, they, they still have some chance. It's not like it's, Jover or anything like that, but you know, they still have, they still have a chance. I don't know if they'll do it, but yeah, and it's interesting. I've been I've been listening to some of our older episodes lately, and sometimes we're either talking about the MCU directly or we're talking about other things, and we use the MCU as an example. And it's always in very positive, a very positive attitude. It's like oh, the MCU can almost do no wrong; they're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wh- why can't this other franchise be like the MCU? And now a few years later, it's like yeah, the MCU is starting to mess up too. So it, it's weird to hear the contrast. It wasn't that long ago that the MCU was. You know, running on all cylinders, and it's not quite true now. I'm telling you, man, it's 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 just the time travel, the interdimensional stuff. As soon as you start doing all that, it, it's it's you can lose people. It's just too much. Well, gentlemen, this is uh, going to be a wrap on Field of Dreams, but uh, definitely enjoyed going the distance with you guys. And getting this one wrapped up and seeing how it turned out. So appreciate you coming on board and going on this trip with me tonight. Enjoyed the conversation in the movie as always. Have a wonderful evening for our listeners. Continue to do whatever makes you a discerning geek. Have a good evening. Salutations. Yeah, thank you for listening. And Dave was talking a little while ago about the variety that we've done lately. Uh, don't forget, we also did Tombstone, a Western. That's kind of yeah. unusual for us, too. Yeah. <laughs> we've done so, a little bit of everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and may the force be with you. Always. <laughs>